think so much of it is about the power of metaphors. But it is that thing of that using a visual as, a, as an aid for communication. An idea that has, to me, feels so important has become a bit of my mantra, and that is to be deliberate, to be creative. Hello and welcome to The Common Creative. My name's Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. And we're on a mission to open up the conversation about creativity in business. And in this week's episode, we have a fascinating person, Dr. Amy Clymer, who runs a business that helps helps other businesses become more agile and innovative. Uh, she's a doctorate in change and leadership. Um, and she lives in the USA and I think is going to bring us a lovely new perspective on creativity. Paul. Yeah, Chris, she lives in North Carolina and it was great to hear you know, her perspective around applied creativity. And particularly, she says it's that sometimes it's hard to sell creativity to business, but those businesses don't get it. Uh, but there's plenty of businesses out there that do understand the importance of creativity and they're the people that she loves to work with. And interestingly, she hinted that post-pandemic, more and more businesses are becoming interested in creativity and responding to the change around us. Let's get her in. Let's hear what she's got to say. Let's get her in. So Amy Clymer, a huge welcome to The Common Creative. We're very excited to have you on, on our podcast because you yourself are a creative. You make your living out of creativity. Huge welcome. Well, thank you. It's so great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you on the show, Amy. All the way from, where are you from? <laughs> I live in the United States in Asheville, North Carolina, okay. which is like East Coast between Florida and DC in the mountains. Fantastic. So, so. The, the Common Creative now is officially global. No, actually, we've had overseas guests before, but we've cool. even more global than before. Hey, Amy, I thought we'd start off with you. You very kindly, when we met face to face, I think about a year or more ago, you gave me a pack of these very wonderful climate oh, yeah. cards. And I know in your business, you you use these cards to stimulate creativity. And I'm going to challenge you. I'm holding up a few of them. We've got one that's on a telephone. I want you to pick one, by the way, and use it to tell us something about yourself. So here I am using your own cards on, on you. So there's one, a picture of a telephone. There's a picture of a fishing rod and a fish. These are beautiful illustrations if you're listening in. There's one of the world. I'll do two more. This is a, the, the world. There's dots and a square. And then how about a thumbs? A thumb. Is that a thumb up or a thumb? Who yeah. knows? Do you want to okay. pick one of those? When, sure. Tell us about yourself. The first thing that came to mind when you show those five was the world. And one of the things that I've been having a lot of fun with lately, like in the last year or so, you know, basically during our pandemic is using, I mean, just being on virtual, you know, like, like it's so easy now. I mean, we had all these, this technology a year, you know, two years ago, but now everyone knows how to use it. And, um, I do a number of like, you know, free webinars pretty regularly. And in fact, I should track this, but I'm pretty sure every single time I do something live, there is somebody from outside of the United States there. And often it'll be five or six, seven, eight different countries represented, even if it's, you know, two in the morning, in Asia, there'll be people from Singapore there or from the Philippines or wherever. And I just get such a kick out of that. I just think that is so cool, especially because sometimes I might only even announce it like two days before. And I'm just like, this is so incredible. Uh, you know, 
know, I, I just kind of geek out on technology. I just so think it's awesome. It, that's one of the big upsides of us becoming sort of um, of the COVID pandemic. We all become Zoom friendly. And now suddenly our contacts have gone global. Paul, you've been very quiet there, our co-host, Paul Fairweather. And um, Paul and I have met because of COVID and we've only ever met online and we've never met face to face. So you've met us both, but we haven't met each other. <laughs> Oh, how funny. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're one of the couple of links that we've had that, that do know each other, each, each of us personally. But yes, as Chris said, we've never met. So those cards, Amy, two questions. Uh, where the illustrations come from and how do you use them in your business? Sure. Um, so I did all the illustrations. Fantastic. Um, so that's uh, easy. They're basically just uh, watercolor drawings that I did and scanned them in. So the story of the cards is, um, for since this is audio, I'll just describe them. So it's a little pack of cards. It looks like playing cards, uh, that size and that quantity. On one side are all images that I drew. They're kind of, I'm jumping in if you have a better description, but almost like just very simple, iconic, you know, line drawings that are, you know, filled in with color. And the purpose of the cards is for facilitators to use them to spark conversation or to, or to deepen conversation and to spark ideas. There are dozens of activities you can do with them, maybe hundreds. Um, I created them back in 2012. I actually had them funded on a Kickstarter campaign, which was really cool. And then in 2020, when the pandemic hit, people started asking how I could how they could use them virtually. And so I created a, a web app um, so they could be this completely interactive virtual experience like on a Zoom session or something. Um, but I think the coolest thing about them is that people either come up with ideas they wouldn't have thought of otherwise, or they say things and the conversation goes in a direction that without the images wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And why is that? Why do we need something like a, a, a beautiful, colorful illustration to help us think of new ideas? When you know we're in the world of work, we've got people to talk to. What what do they bring to the party? Well, I think so much of it is about the power of metaphors. And actually, a, a professor of mine, Michael Gass, he wrote this book about twenty years ago on metaphors. And in there, he says, "Here's a quote: A picture, if a picture is worth a thousand words." a metaphor is worth a thousand pictures. You know, I think it's just like this way we can communicate so quickly with each other and that, you know, you hold up a telephone and instantly we're all thinking about connection and communication. And, you know, we think about all these things that we can. So I think one is we can communicate better, but I also think it sparks things in our brain that if you just like for, here's an example. Okay. So if I ask, uh, say, if I'm doing a workshop on creativity, and I might start off and I'll say, pick a card that represents your definition of creativity. And people just go in this direction that if I had asked the question without the images, you know, they'll mm. give me some, like, I don't know what they think the dictionary answer is, but all of a sudden with the images, they're actually getting more creative and they're tapping into different parts of their brain. Cause, and I don't know the brain science behind it, but I think that, you know, like the visuals just, it's like we speed up our brain processes when we can see the visuals, you know? Mm. Actually, I mean, I think it's interesting and it's a slightly different take on it, but that the drawing that you have of the uh, telephone is an old-style telephone. In fact, my my young children probably wouldn't recognise that as a telephone. Yeah, the rotary but, phone. Yeah, the rotary phone. But my um, uh, when I was in first year university, one of my lecturers used to say, "It's sometimes very hard. You ask people what they want. You know, what do you want your house to look like?" And they say, "Well, I don't know." And he used to. And they had a, an old black rotary phone. And he'd put it on the table and go, "Well, here's your house." And they go, "Oh." 
oh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want a house that looks like that. Well, why not? Well, I don't want it to be black, and and I don't want it to be all curvy, you know. So, so it's a slightly different take of it, but it is that thing of that using a visual as a, as an aid for communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it makes me because I I agree passionately that the human brain connects with pictures more easily than it does with words. And I wonder how it is that we've learned in the world of business anyway, to, to use the written words so often to get ideas across. And we've almost become scared of using imagery and so on. Do you know how we got ourselves to this point? I mean, maybe it's schools that are to blame, but what do you think? Well, you know, the first thing that came to my mind when you're saying that is uh, I blame my Microsoft PowerPoint. Yeah. And- <laughs> It's not, there's not like, it's a great tool, right? Like there's nothing wrong with these slides, but it's not even the PowerPoint. It's the templates that they put inside PowerPoint and they have all these bullets and, you know, and pretty soon it's like, we're all being like driven to fill these slides with, you know, dozens of bullets, which is like the worst way to present it, right? Like instead, just like, just put a picture up there if you need a slide, right? Um, So, I mean, I'm kind of teasing, but kind of not like we've just gotten into this pattern of creating these slide decks, which, you know, before PowerPoint, I guess they were literally like photographs. You know, if you were having a slideshow, it was literally photographs and you could still have text on there, but you weren't going to have, you know. There is now um, research just being published, which shows each time you open up PowerPoint on your laptop, 10% of your brain cells disappear. It's, it's fact. It's fact. That's funny. <laughs> but Chris, it, yeah, is it, it, it is an interesting point because when we used to show slides in the old in the old carousel projector, they were generally photos that we showed. Uh, and then, and you know, unfortunately, the precursor to PowerPoint was the overhead projector, mm. where people used to write with, uh, or you know, or photo photocopied text they used to put on. That's the, true. So uh, unfortunately, we, we've had those two old technologies. Um, uh, merge all together. I also wonder too, you know, we, um, I think at least in the United States and I, I would think in Australia as well, we don't do a good job of teaching how to draw. And so, you know, you think of like a professor, even if they have a blackboard, they're not drawing images. I mean, you don't have to be a good drawer to be able to draw and communicate with visuals. But if you're confident enough, like, oh, let me just draw this quick stick figure, da, 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 then you're more apt to use those visuals. And we don't we don't teach that. Um, whereas, you know, we have, at least when I was growing up, you had to like, you got graded on your penmanship. And <laughs> well, I go beyond that. It's not even cool to learn to draw. It's cool to do the science and the, and the English and on. But if you if you're the person in the arts class, then you kind of are. Oh, you're one of those guys who kind of can't hack it in the proper classes. It's so it's yeah, it's been relegated. It's a huge shame. It was um, interesting. A number of years ago, I was traveling in India, and we spent three days at this uh, elementary school, like you know, um, up until about what grade six. And the little kids, like the seven, eight year olds, uh, the teacher drew something on the board, and all of them copied it, like really well. It was like a turtle or something like that. I can't remember what it was. And I remember thinking, what? Seven-year-olds in the U.S. could not do this. Mm. Uh, so they were just getting this visual literacy that we weren't getting. So, Amy, let me, let me, uh, I feel like we could have a PowerPoint bashing session for the next three hours yeah, because it's I, I so much tuned into what you're saying. But I want to switch to kind of the bigger, the bigger idea of what, what you do. Your, your business is about creativity and you help businesses become more innovative and agile and so on and it's a, it's a world that Paul and I both play and so we've had personal experience in this area too 
I, well, I'd love to hear what what you've learned, particularly in the US, about how businesses receive the idea of being more creative. And just so you know, what's behind the question is, is that is I pick up a, a slight fear of creativity because it's disruptive and it makes life uncomfortable. And so do you experience that? And if you do, how do you overcome that? Yeah, I see. I would say, yes, I do. And then there's also many businesses that don't have that, uh, or at least if they have that fear, they're willing to push past it. And I think this last year with the pandemic has been really interesting because what I've seen, especially, you know, when things hit here in the US about mid-March and I'm a solopreneur, so I do a lot of training and speaking. And so I know a lot of other people who are trainers and speakers. And I mean, I was like within a week or two, I was switching over to virtual, like, yeah, like this, I realized like this is a high priority for me. Right. But a lot of other speakers and trainers were just like, nah, I'm just going to ride this out. We're going to be done with this soon. And it, and to extrapolate that to the business world, it was the same thing with businesses, right? Like a lot of them are just sitting back like restaurants are like, no, we're not going to offer takeout. We never, we're not, that's not our style. It's like, well, style or not, you're going to go out of business if you don't change. <laughs> and and then there's others that were like, oh, like, I mean, here, I don't know how it is in Australia, but here it was like, all of a sudden you were allowed to sell beer and wine and stuff as takeout, which restaurants couldn't do that before. And so, I mean, it was just fascinating what people, what, what businesses were willing to change. And I will say that most of the businesses I work have already, like they come to me after they've already decided we want to be creative. They might not know how, and that's where I come in, but I don't spend a lot of time convincing businesses to be creative because I feel like it's too much of an uphill battle. Like there are so many that get it. And those that don't, they're just going to slowly wither away, you know? Um, just, Just back to your, you know, the story about the pandemic and some get it and some don't and some changed and some, some, some didn't. I'm not going to use that P word. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, this is P-I-V-O. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, have you found that, you know, since then, you know, it, it has woken, you know, some businesses up and there are more out there that realise that, you know, creativity and change is, is, is integral. Have you, have you sensed that in the, in the clients that you work with or new clients? Yeah, I would say some to some degree, yes. Um, it was very interesting, you know, when, when the pandem- pandemic hit, well, you, you probably know there's sort of this inverse relationship between stress and creativity. And so as our stress went up, you know, when the pandemic's hitting, we're all freaked out about what's going to happen. Nobody wants to learn about creativity in that moment, right? Like they they might need to be creative, but they're not in the space where they can actually learn. And so I just stopped talking about creativity for a little bit. And then a few months later, then I would say, you know, late, like maybe quarter three, four, 2020, then there was this increased interest again of like, okay, we need to figure this out. Uh, we need to learn how to do this well, uh, how to be creative. And I think that, you know, we all have this incredible capacity to be creative. It's just a matter of teaching, uh, you know, all of us how to pull that out and how to tap into those skills that, you know, are buried way deep. We haven't maybe touched on since we were four, but, um, but yeah, I would, I would say yes, Paul, that I've seen maybe more businesses or different businesses stepping forward to say, okay, we need this now. So, you know, in, in that, in the work that you do, if I would ask you, you know, what's your, the first one that comes to your mind about a technique that you use to, you know, to help businesses connect, you know, with their creativity and their people? What, what, what would come to your mind or what's your, what's your favorite go-to or um, a simple thing our listeners could, could use? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I use a process called creative problem solving and without getting into the whole process, one stage of that is generating new ideas. And one of the things that happens is that, okay, let's say a team's together and they decide, oh, let's brainstorm on this particular problem. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. And then, you know, you've been there where three or four people share an idea and then like the fourth person shuts it down, an idea down. And then everyone's like, I don't want to share anymore. You know, that's what they're thinking in their head. Right. So I feel like my job is to teach them how to not do that. And one of those ways is just understanding like, okay, we're going to spend time right now in this divergent thinking mode where we're generating a lot of ideas. We don't actually care at this point if they're any good or not. Then we'll move into evaluating in this, this convergent thinking mode. And one of the problems we have right now in our culture, at least in the US, and again, I'm guessing it's the same in Australia, is that we have been trained from when we were quite small on how to be convergent thinkers, right? Like every standardized test, every multiple choice question is a convergent thinking style question. But how often have you had a test, you know, in school that said, hey, for this essay question, list all the ideas of how you might solve this problem, right? Like we're just not asked to do that much. And then all of a sudden we're in adulthood. And actually that is really what adulthood is about, is Mm. divergent thinking. Um, So I teach them that concept. And then the other element that happens there when you're generating ideas is that it's just natural. Eventually you're going to run out of ideas. And so that's when I, we start like throwing in different techniques. And so while we might start off with like, oh, let's just do a brain dump, list all the first ideas you have. And then that's going to dry up. Then I might introduce something like climber cards where put all these visual images down on the table or up on the screen and say, thinking about that problem we're focused on, that challenge, what ideas do you get from these images here? And there's something about, you know, we're just staring at our our office walls, which you know may or may not be white or colorful, whatever, but still we need like new input. Seamless, um, yeah. So that's what maybe if I can important. jump into something I think is really important in the creative process is is that feeling of running out, that feeling of getting lost. I've done it, I've, I've finished now, there's nothing else I've got to give. And if to anybody listening, if you ever get to that point, don't be scared of it. It's very helpful to put yourself under that bit of pressure or put a group under that pressure and say, now give me more. And maybe you bring in stimulus like climber cards and people will, oh, now I, oh, I hadn't thought of that. And suddenly new, new stuff comes rather than the stuff that was hanging around in the kind of the closets of your own brain. It's actually stuff that genuinely hadn't been come up with before. So it's, yeah. it's very helpful. That. Yeah, absolutely. Lovely. I remember uh, years ago watching this video of one of the founders of IDEO and he was talking about how they had this aha moment when they realized they should number their ideas because then they could say, oh, we're at 50. Let's see if we can get to 75 or, you know, whatever it was. And then it, all of a sudden you're like, what more? And then <laughs> sure enough, you find you do actually have more ideas. <laughs> um, actually, we're going we're gonna to get uh, Paul Bennett on as a guest um, from audio. He doesn't know yet, but uh, <laughs> uh, I know Paul for many years. So we're going to uh, have him as a guest. That's uh, awesome. As soon as we tell him uh, or ask him. <laughs> so, so if you're listening, Paul, if I haven't spoken to you. <laughs> Amy, I'd love to hear your views on creativity in different um, cultures, different different countries around because we've got uh, an American uh, Paul and I are both based in Australia sorry, but you can tell I haven't have any information about that oh sorry uh, uh, um, <laughs> there's a bit of AI going wrong right there um, uh, but I'm, my background's in the UK um, we've met face to face in Australia I don't, so I don't know the extent to which you've been around the world but I'd love to hear how you would rate 
creativity in the USA compared to other places you visit? Oh, that, I feel like that's a dangerous question. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. No one's going to hear this. It's secret. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, actually, Chris, I don't know. I don't know that I that I can answer that really well um, because I haven't. I mean, I've traveled some. I've been to, I don't know, 25 plus countries or something. But I, I guess I could say this. Uh, I, I did some research a number of years ago when I was working on my PhD on this question of like, how does it differ, creativity differ across cultures? And one of the things that surprised me in that research was how different the idea and definition of creativity varied from culture to culture. And so like in the US and, and I think, you know, a lot of more Western cultures like the UK, or Australia, it's about like being different and unique and how many, you know, can you be disruptive and new ideas? Whereas in some of the Asian cultures, and oh dear, don't quote me on this. It's been a while since I read it. I want to say China, maybe Japan. It, well, maybe I don't know about Japan, but maybe China. It was more about how uh, like eloquently or beautifully you could copy something else, particularly in the realm um, of art. Like if you think about calligraphy, you know, like it, it's very much, it's not about like, okay, we're inventing new letters or words here. It's more about how, you know, exacting and beautiful can you create that? Um, yeah. And, and even interviewing a woman uh, who is from the, one of our indigenous groups here, the Navajo, and they had a very different concept of creativity even. And so I think that was really surprising that not everyone looks at it as like creativity is about like being disruptive or new. And then that's actually quite a Western approach. Yes. And of course, we're looking at creativity through the lens of business. And that, that itself is a bit of a strange thing to do because creativity is more naturally applied to so many other, other areas. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, what, what is this? Oh, Paul. So actually, it's just, I, just, I think it's a very interesting point because um, I, I remember a story. There was a, a designer. Uh, he's actually a French designer, but he's called Ito. And he says that he, uh, the, the Chinese paid him the largest compliment because he designed a whole series of fictitious products. He had this you know, new Mac and he had a new you know, um, Gucci bag and these things, which were, which were made. He was sort of doing it for a folio, you know, uh, so I think. Anyway, he presented online. They looked real with the 3Ds and the, and the Chinese built them. You know, they made them. <laughs> so... But, but then I hear that, you know, like, you know, now, you know, the Chinese, you know, and, and, and the Japanese have, you know, done this, you know, 50 years earlier, you know, whilst they copied and they were just, you know, honing their skill, now they're applying that uh, to, to originality and, and not just copying things, mm -hmm. uh, so, which I think is interesting. You know, out of that, he, the Ito never got sued uh, and he did actually, I think one of them, I don't know if it was Mac or Gucci or someone actually made one of his bags as a, as a, as a product. Um, so oh interesting yeah it was uh, it was it was very curious but uh, yeah I, but I like that I really get that sense particularly you know after being to Japan you know the way yeah. it's sort of it's very you'd almost say it's a considered creativity um, yeah. rather than something that's spontaneous or ad hoc uh, you know very um, you know the way they wrap wrap things you know that, yeah. that's mm -hmm. so incredibly creative but but you know they could repeat it so many times uh, and still beautiful every time <laughs> so yeah that's very interesting 
Amy, can I go back to something you said that really stood out for me? Uh, you, you said there's a kind of inverse of relationship between stress and creativity. And I, I certainly agree with that. And I often ask people where and when they have their best ideas. And, you know, it's, it's in the shower. It might be when I'm on a jog. It's, it could be when I'm about to go to sleep. Those kind of moments when the man is very relaxed and you suddenly go, oh, I, I've thought of something. On the other hand, there's this well-worn phrase, necessity is the mother of invention. It's when, when there's a pandemic, suddenly people have to get creative and solve problems that they haven't solved before. So how does that work? If you're in stress, something goes wrong in your life and you have to be creative. And yet the best creativity comes when you're not stressed. So how does that help guide me through that strange dilemma? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think it's almost, at least the way I think of it, particularly in watching the, the stress that came from the pandemic, is it's more in the immediate moment. So for instance, you know, those first couple of weeks where like we shut down and, and I imagine when, when you all shut down too, I mean, there was like, people were freaking out and rightfully so, you know, there was a lot of unknowns. They didn't know if they were going to lose their job. They didn't know if they were going to like get sick and die. Uh, I mean, like really, you know, serious things, right? <laughs> And so it's like, okay, if in this moment, I'm afraid I'm going to die, it's not a good time for me to think about how I might like, you know, innovate my business. <laughs> However, if I can let that stress kind of flow through and pass, you know, maybe the next day, maybe the next hour, depending on the situation. And then I can realize, okay, if I don't innovate my business, it may go under, but for this moment, I can bring my stress down and, and innovate, you know, and come up with some ideas. Mm. So I think, you know, there's, and I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know all the details, but I think there's sort of different layers of stress where you can have kind of this longer term stress, but then also this shorter term stress. And I think it's that shorter term, like, oh my gosh, you know, in this very moment, I just need to get out of this situation. And that maybe not at the time you're going to come with a brand new creative idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so you kind of compartmentalize kind of- it. So let's, let's chill out for a moment to help ourselves yeah. come up with, okay. Okay. That's a great answer. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I guess, and I do wonder, uh, I'd have to look up the research on this, but I would imagine that like chronic levels of sc- stress just in general would decrease someone's ability to be creative. Mm-hmm. In fact, a, a, a colleague of mine suggested that it's a little too late for this study now, but that if we had done a study at the maybe like, you know, six months into the pandemic, like say, I don't know, August and assess people's creativity and then assess their creativity after they got vaccinated. Cause mm. she, she, she was talking about how after she got vaccinated, she could just feel this weight was lifted. And she was like, Oh my gosh, I just feel more creative. I didn't even know I had this stress on me. Um, but I, it's probably too late. A kind of a psychological benefit of a vaccine. That's wonderful. <laughs> Great. <laughs> hey, who knew? <laughs> wonder if there's a placebo. If you need more creativity, I have this, this injection, yes. maybe just water or something. That's why I had my creativity <laughs> injection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that what coffee is? Maybe that's what coffee is. <laughs> no, we'll, start mean, with, we'll start with C. <laughs> we we wondered if there was an idea or a story you wanted to share with us. Maybe you've covered it already, in which case, fine. But is there, is there a particular idea about creativity you, you think our listeners would, would benefit from? Yeah, I think um, an idea that has 
to me feels so important. It's become a bit of my mantra. And that is to be deliberate, to be creative. And this idea that if you are not intentional about being creative, it won't happen. Like creativity does not happen by accident. And I think we have a lot of mythical stories in our cultures that, that make it out as if creativity was an accident, you know, like, was it Sir Isaac Newton and the apple fell on his head and he discovered gravity. And it's like, well, actually what you don't know is he'd been studying physics and such for four years and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and so there was an incredible focus on that. And then yes, he might've had an aha moment, but it didn't come out of the blue. So I have found for myself, this is super helpful because if I wait for creative, creative ideas to come, it's hit or miss. They may or may not. But if I'm intentional and I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down and generate a new idea for X problem. It it works every time. Uh, And so that's become my mantra is be deliberate to be creative. And uh, I, I, I wish like every business, every person would adopt that and understand how that works. So it's uh, it's a wonderful thought because you're right. There is definitely this perception. There are creative people and there are non-creative people. And those creative people just have these moments. It's sort of that the classic, the eureka moment. And and you're saying there may well be eureka moments, but they don't happen by accident. They happen because the environment is right. And in my mind, I'm thinking it's like going to the gym. It's kind of people who are fit are so lucky. They just wake up one morning and they're fit. And it's, you should see them going to the gym every day. And then, you know, they work out. And then, of course, you know, there may be moments where they have a breakthrough, they break a time record or they do something. Exactly. So, so, Bring, bring that home then. If Let's say I, I was thinking, I want to be deliberately creative from now on. What do I do? Is there time aside for it? Do I, I don't know, build an artist studio? <laughs> what, what, how do you become deliberately creative? Well, I think, first of all, I think there's, you, you need to know and use a creative process. And there are many out there. Um, the, the ones that I use the most are creative problem solving or design thinking. Uh, it, it can even be one you've developed over time yourself because both of those you know, creative problem solving is based on how we naturally solve problems anyway. So I think if you understand how the creative process works, that's really helpful um, of just knowing like, hey, you got to identify a problem, generate ideas, develop those ideas further, and then implementing them. That's the basic process there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And man, the, the, the longer I am an entrepreneur, the more I realize how critical process is. And that even just having a process to capture your ideas, like if you have no system in place for, you know, where are you going to write those down? Are you going to record them on your phone? Like anything like that you can do, kind of a hack basically is going to help you be more creative. Um, I have found that if I'm designing a workshop, so if, if it's something new or I need to change something, I'll, you know, I'll be like at my computer, like have my slide deck open. I'm like, okay, what do I want to do? And like, I get, I just, I draw a blank until I walk away from my computer and I sit down with a pen and paper and it's like, the ideas flow. And as soon as I start writing or drawing or, you know, what there's something about that. It's just like helps my, and so I know that about myself, which means then it's super easy to generate new ideas because I'm like, oh, this is a time where I need to go away from the computer (laughs) and, you know, um, so I think, yeah, having a process or developing one and knowing that when you first start it, it's going to be messy. It's not going to feel good necessarily. It might feel like, oh gosh, I don't know. Why am I doing this? And, you know, and then eventually you, you build up some stamina and you actually start to really enjoy it. And it's fun. I, I guess it's the same as going to the gym, right? Like you first go and you're like, oh gosh, that was no fun. I hated it. I'm in pain. And then eventually you're like, this is awesome. <laughs> no, actually, actually, I mean, that's, that, that's a good point and probably a, a good segue uh, to, uh, to allow you to go back 
uh, to do some writing and some drawing. Um, <laughs> we're very thankful of the, the time you've given us uh, today. And, and look, your, uh, your insights have just been so fantastic. And I've, uh, I, I've learned heaps uh, as well. And, and, I, and, I, and I love that question without notice about different cultures um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and your observations about, about the different types. And I thought that was, that was, that was very good. So thank you, Amy, for uh, being our guest today on The Common Creative. Yeah, well, thank, thank you so you. much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like not to miss any future episodes, please subscribe. And if you subscribe, it helps others find us. And a huge thank you to Zane Weber, our audio engineer, to Michaela Rock, our producer. I'm Chris Meredith. We'll see you next week. I'm Paul Fiorella. Join us then.